When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode uh, is a lawyer, a former politician. Uh, he goes by the name of Peter McCallum Dowding SC. He was Western Australia's 24th Premier, uh, around about the time uh, that will go down, no doubt, as our most colourful and uh, perhaps scandalous time in our political history in Western Australia. But that is just a a short uh, chapter in Peter Dowding's story. Uh, Fascinating childhood, which I'm looking forward to exploring. The son of a Presbyterian minister, uh, an activist uh, and agitator, I think I'd be uh, right in saying. Uh, It's uh, it's a colourful story in itself. Uh, Grew up in uh, the eastern states as well as here in Perth, of course, uh, and also a stint in post-war Glasgow, Scotland, uh, which on paper at least doesn't sound like it would have been a whole lot of fun. But let's uh, get into that in more detail and say hello and welcome uh, to our inspiring story in this episode, Peter Dowding. Hello, Peter. How are you? Hello, Tim. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We've got a lot to get through. Um, I will flag initially that we will speak at some point about uh, WA Inc., although um, it's probably not your favourite topic of, <laughs> of conversation. But let's go back to your childhood because that's a fascinating story in itself. Your dad sounds like he was quite a character. Is that uh, is that a broad enough description? Can you go into more detail? I mean, he sounds like he was a very passionate man, a, a, a God-fearing man, but also a, someone who wasn't afraid to live by his principles and stand up for what he believed in. Well, he was certainly very passionate and he was very preoccupied with being passionate. Uh, (laughs) What does that mean? Well, he wasn't that preoccupied with, you know, young kids and and so forth. But uh, no, he was very preoccupied with life and times, his work as a minister, his uh, fight for social justice, which really directed most of the things that he did. When uh, in the in the late nineteen forties, the family had suffered um, uh, quite a trauma that their my father's middle brother had disappeared in the Second World War mm-hmm. uh, after working with a, an underground organisation in France, and they had no idea of where he was or what had happened to him until nearly the end of 1946, so the war had been over by quite a while. So that had really scarred the family. And uh, in the uh, early 1950s, my father had an opportunity to take us to Scotland 
with the Iona community where he got a job. So he went there in part to follow his his, uh, if you like, his radical dreams of, yeah. of radical Christianity and also, I think, to try and tie some loose ends about what had happened to Brother Bruce. When you say radical Christianity, what, what did that mean in his day-to-day life? What were the sorts of rules and, and doctrines that he lived by? Well, well, the rules of, of his life were what he saw Christianity being about. That is about love for your fellow man, about uh, respecting people and also helping the people who needed help, and that's really a preoccupation of his. I mean, he was more—he was more friendly sometimes to the poor drunk that knocked on the door on ten o'clock on Friday night than he was to his son. <laughs> In a way, that's the way I saw it from yeah. time to time. But no, no, he was very committed to uh, to his belief that Christianity was about equality and about opportunity and about helping people. Yeah. I've lived in uh, Glasgow myself uh, for a stint. So I have some idea of the sort of environment you're talking about, but it wasn't post-World War II at the time. What are your memories <coughs> well, it uh, was, of Glasgow? It, it's it, a harsh it, place at times. It, it was very grey. We lived in along uh, the Clydeside in a building called Community House. Uh, the The conditions, economic conditions were grim. Rationing was pretty grim. There was a relief, that is, we went to Iona for holidays and that was a lovely place in the Gulf Stream with a better mm. weather. But but Glasgow was just appallingly poor and, and the British government or the English government didn't really care much about it. They were pouring money into post- War Europe really to try and create a bulwark against mm. communism as they saw it rather yeah. than looking after their own citizens. Uh, your reflections <laughs> on your childhood? I mean, it, it sounds like at best an adventure, but perhaps not much fun. Was there a lot of kind of love and, and nurturing in the well, family there, home? My mother died when I was very young and uh, when, when I came back from Scotland with her and so, uh, you know, family life has been up and down over a long period of time. But uh, life's always been very interesting. I can't complain about that. <laughs> Coming back to Australia, uh, but to the eastern states, were you, were you pretty pleased to get back to our shores? I, I was, but my, as I say, my mother died yep. fairly soon after. So I went to mm. live with an uncle in Hobart with a, a cousin of mine, almost my age, and that was that was fun growing up in for a year in Hobart with uh, with a sibling. Uh, we we a knockabout, two knockabout kids, and then uh, after Melbourne, we I went to boarding school for a period, and then to Sydney, and from Sydney I came over here when I was just about fourteen, and that's been the best part of my life living mm. in Perth. Yeah. So much so that you haven't left. Well, I did leave for a brief period <laughs> in the early 90s, but, but Perth is just such a good place yeah. uh, really to live and and all my strong friendships have been formed yeah. here uh, here in Perth. So yeah. uh, it, I, I see myself as a Perth mm. person. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Your dad was on the radar of ASIO. At one point, as I understand, he was. Is he, that, is that we, correct? We 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 knew he was on the radar of radar ASIO. But many years later, many years later, I actually got 
most of his ASIO file. Yeah. And, uh, and really, people should realise that back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s, ASIO was collecting just a heap of gossip. I mean, you could have you would have read about it in Facebook nowadays, what yeah. people were doing. It was pretty pathetic. And my father was never a security risk, although they like to pump it up as a security risk. In fact, one of the notes in the ASIO file came from a lunch that some women had had at at a, at a club. I, I don't think it was the Karakata Club, but something like that. And a woman remarked that um, her... Uh, minister of religion, priest, uh, left-wing uh, political views from the pulpit. And another woman round the table was recorded as saying, would you think he's left-wing? You should meet his son. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt quite chuffed by that. <laughs> I, I was at university at the time and... and uh, uh, but this was on the ASIO file, you know, refer this to file number XXX. So. Yeah. Still, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Oh, yes. To have in your, your family history. Um, yeah. We'll move on from your dad shortly, but can you tell us why he was sent home uh, from his role as an army chaplain? Well, the there, 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 there are two views about it. Um, uh, two stories he told. One was that he'd objected to the... Uh, other ranks, bar and mess, contributing to a fund that was used to send officers' children to college. And another is that he wanted to give a Japanese soldier who'd been killed very near the camp uh, a funeral. Mm. Now, those are two stories, two threads. Uh, maybe they're both true, but he was certainly sent back from New Guinea to mm. to Perth and very uh, to uh, Melbourne. And very shortly after that, he rejoined the army as a private. He'd been a captain chaplain. He rejoined mm. it as a uh, as a private. Yeah. Um, given that his faith was so strong and such a big part of his life, was there ever an expectation that you would follow in those footsteps and take on a, a formal role within the Presbyterian Church? No. No? You no. made that clear to him no. earlier. There was, there was, I, I did all the dutiful things. I went to, to you know, to uh, Sunday school and I sang in the choir and did all those things, but no. No. And he was okay with that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, eventually. Eventually. Oh, no, I don't think he ever <laughs> – I think he knew I wasn't going to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Um, he often said, actually, that it was my mother who'd, who'd sort of persuaded him to go into the church. Yeah. The family didn't really have – his family didn't have really a very strong interest in church affairs. And as we now know, my uncle, uh, the, the youngest of the three boys – um, he actually converted to Catholicism when he was in the execution prison. So uh, they didn't have a, a history of involvement in religious yeah. activities when they were kids. Is, is this Uncle Bruce? Yeah. Yeah. Another character in your, <laughs> in your family. He sure tree. is. In, in fact, he's a character on my desk and my bookshelves because I'm I'm, I've joined a local author, Ken Spillman, and we're writing a book about Bruce's exploits. Yeah, it's, right. Uh, currently under... Can you give us, uh, without giving too much away, can you give us a couple of highlights? What I mean, what well, are the well, amazing he went to, stories he went to France. He went to France to do a short 
uh, course in at the Sorbonne in France because yeah. he was a French teacher at Wesley in Melbourne and he fell in love with France, uh, fell in love with a woman, stayed there. The woman left. He stayed on in France and war broke out. Um, he joined as an interpreter, captured, escaped and made his way to Marseille and then joined an underground organisation which was dedicated to getting uh, servicemen out of France, pilots and the like, and also moving intelligence out of France. And mm. eventually he was betrayed by an Englishman and they were put in jail and then his um, his uh, head was chopped off in 1943. Wow. So... Wow, that's the story, and we've uncovered, we've uncovered the history through a huge amount of research. I bet you have. Yeah. That's quite a tale. That sounds like yeah. it needs to be a movie. Yeah, well, that'd be good <laughs> with, a, with an unhappy ending. By, with an, by the oh, bro, yeah, it's a very unhappy <laughs> ending, and but there are some really good people in the story. The yeah. the priest who attended the execution eventually found a way of writing to the family. Yeah, the French government offered a, a, a quite a girl to my uncle, which the Australian government rejected. But but there are some really good people in the story. Yeah. And, of course, it's a very sad ending. But out of all the people who died in the war, my uncle was just one. Yeah. Incredible. And Looking forward millions. to reading it. Peter, we need to take a break. After that, let's get back to you uh, and your arrival here uh, in Perth uh, at Hale School, uh, one of the, uh, well, most well-known and and reputable schools uh, here in Western Australia. A graduate of that, you went on to uh, get a law degree uh, and then plenty more to discuss after that. Let's take a break, though. Peter Dowding is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode was the 24th Premier of Western Australia. Uh, he held that position uh, from 1988 through to 1990. Uh, we're going to explore the years that maybe led him towards that point. So uh, you're a teenager, Peter, as I understand. You moved to Western Australia. What what prompted that initially? Why why Perth? Well, my father got a gig at the Ross Memorial Church. He'd been in Wallara and this offer came up. We drove across at the time of the Melbourne Olympics and uh, he took it up here and Hale School, we lived in West Perth and Hale School was just round the corner. Yeah. And it was, it was, um, it was not a fancy school, but it was a, you know, it was a private school and, and they discounted fees for poor Presbyterian ministers. <laughs> so, so that's why I went there. It all worked out rather well. It did. Um, academically, uh, you're obviously right up there. Very, very capable. No, really, I didn't perform that well at, at school. There were comments in reports that always said, should try harder. <laughs> But, they always say but that. They do. They do. Yeah. I, I, I got through. That was the yeah. thing. Um, I understand at one point um, going to medical school was a consideration. Well, that was or, my father's, at least my father's for him. wish. Yeah. 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 He absolutely wanted me to be 
to, to go to, to the yeah. medicine. And that put, put my back – I mean, looking back on it, it put my back up a bit. Yeah. And uh, a very good friend uh, of mine who's still a good friend, his mother was a, was a broadcaster actually, uh, uh, Erica Underwood, and she said to me, look, you talk the hind leg – off a donkey, maybe you should be a lawyer. So <laughs> that was it. So that was it. Uh, was it a, an act of defiance too to your to your dad to not uh, follow the medical path? Yeah, maybe in part. But <laughs> you know how these things are. You you, you form a view. Nah, I don't yeah. want to be a doctor. So yeah, I'll be a lawyer. I mean, it's a big decision to make when you're a teenager. Really, it is it? a big decision. Yeah. It's a hard one, and it's funny because I, I love talking to young people about what they're going to do, and there's a young Lester down near, near nearby coffee shop. And I said to her, she's coming up with the last exams. I said, and what are you going to do? And she said, I honestly don't know. And I, I thought to myself, that's exactly how yep. I feel. Yeah. So did you sort of stumble into a law degree? I, I stumbled into a law degree. I loved university. I, I wasn't so enamoured with law. Um, but after four years, I went and did a two-year stint as an article clerk. And then I realised what tools you got as a lawyer, what, mm. what, what you were able to do as a lawyer. And that, that did uh, give me a lot of uh, encouragement and a lot of pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, what was it that lured you into the murky world of politics? Well, it was sort of accidental in a way. I've always been involved in political activities. My father was, yeah. uh, my my extended family were. When I was at school, we were we were in a campaign for nuclear disarmament. Mm-hmm. Uh, after school, after during university, there was the Vietnam issues and so forth, political issues like that. So your dad would almost as a as a family unit take you to those Demos. sorts of events and, and get involved. And, and, get often, involved. and, and often speak at them. He would, Is that right? Yeah, yeah on the yeah. Esplanade. Hundreds of people gathering around. He'd yeah. give them a burst of uh, good political <laughs> heart. But it wasn't uh, – so I was involved in the political activities but yeah. not ever wanting to be a politician. Mm. And then in the 1970s, uh, the, the Liberal government of the day uh, – and Christian Porter's dad and a few other liberal functionaries decided that they would try and win the seat of Kimberley by preventing Indigenous people from casting their votes. And uh, I was asked by Ernie Bridge if my firm and I would represent Ernie in a court of disputed returns, which we launched in 1977. And... uh, we we were really nine months on that case. Uh, I was led by Paul Seaman, who was then a, a, a very senior barrister. And eventually we proved that the Liberal Party had put together a plan, the purpose of which was to deprive Aboriginal people of their votes. Mm. And I felt so sort of angry about that. Uh, and Ernie asked if I would stand as his upper house running mate. Mm. I'd, I'd spent a year in Port Hedland working for the Aboriginal Legal Service, and I before that I'd done a, I'd, I'd got a Churchill Fellowship to do some work on legal aid. So I was a bit involved with the North, and Ernie asked me if I'd stand, and I thought about it, and I did. And you did. Um, again, reflecting on your uh, your dad as well, campaigning. I understand he's 
at one point had a crack. Uh, he for, did two uh, two yes, points. Had a had a at one point against uh, Kim Beasley senior. Well, he did. He stood against a guy called Dick Cleaver, who was yeah. a Liberal member for South Perth, mm-hmm. and uh, he missed out on that. And then he stood against Kim Beasley and uh, uh, on a pre-selection that yes. was for the Labor Party, but he did not get pre-selected. Yeah. Um, that whole idea of campaigning, because uh, I'm sure you were, um, whether you wanted to or not, a part of that. Oh, yeah. um, did that light a fire in you at all, or did it sort of put you? Did it put you off? How did, how did you? Um, how do you reflect on that? Uh, Pacing up and down streets of South Perth with yeah. bundles of how to vote cards, really knocking is on not, doors, yeah, having yeah, the same really conversations not, with people. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't turn you on. I can assure <laughs> you, it doesn't turn you on. And yet, you went on to become the twenty-fourth premier of Western Australia. Well, so that was also yeah. a bit accidental, you <laughs> see, because I I actually was elected to the upper house, yes. and uh, in nineteen eighty, and and was quite content. We won the 1983 election rather unexpectedly uh, and I got a ministry uh, which was not one with which I had much familiarity. I I got mines and fuel Mm -hmm. and energy Mm -hmm. and then over time I had a variety of other ministries and then uh, our leader, the Premier, Brian Burke, who was younger than I was, decided he'd retire and and in the end I, I got the gig. I wasn't really chasing it. Mm. I don't want to say you were the Stephen Bradbury at the time, but... <laughs> well, I wasn't chasing it. And, and yeah. I, in fact, the best time I had in politics was as Minister for Employment and Training. That yeah. was one of the most one of the most challenging and interesting ministries that I had. So did, did you want it? How did it feel when, you know, when it was basically put to you? You uh, will be our next Premier. How bit, did that sit with you? A bit, ambi- a bit ambivalent. Uh, but you know, it was a hell of an opportunity. So I you guess can't turn it down, can you? Well, it'd be difficult. I wasn't strong enough to turn it down. I should say, yeah. perhaps that. Uh, an extraordinary time, though, it in was. Western Australia it was. and Western Australian politics. I mean, WA Inc. as a phrase still gets any time there's a sniff of government and business, you know, Labor Party government anyway, and business getting too cosy. People trot out. Oh, here we go, WA Inc. all over again. Um, yeah, it, look, it's become uh, Tim. I, they they do, and I I I I really don't want to sort of defend it because there there is a lot of hyperbole about it, mm. and if you look at the way, say, the current Commonwealth government operates, it has almost completely excluded the public service from its activities and embraced almost exclusively business people have not yet come to say, oh, look, that's, that's Commonwealth Inc. Mm. But, but, uh, but there were some things that, that, that we did that were not, not well done and there were some things of which we were accused of doing that we really didn't do. But it was a difficult time. If you remember, uh, there was a collapse of two financial institutions yep. which were really going to impact on on ordinary West Australians as well as churches and local yeah. governments. And Rothwell's we, being the one that people and, and teachers credit. And teachers, and teachers credit. credit. Yeah. And the churches and the, the, the ordinary people were involved 
in that as well as some of the players like Bond and co. So we'd stepped in and agreed to underwrite it without really, A, knowing exactly how you would manage such a thing and, B, without being given true information about yeah. the state of play. So had had the government done due diligence on, on what it was entering into? Well, it, it had to uh, an extent, but I don't think anyone realised just how bad it would mm. get, and uh, of course we were caught. We were we were skewered with it, and and um, I, I guess it'll come round and happen again at some mm. stage. Yeah, um, the, the the history books, uh, the the telling of the WA Inc. story has it been has it been fair over the years, or are there there's some mistruths that have become part of this legend, this extraordinary story? Um, that to this day are, are not right and not accurate. I, I think I, I'd say the latter, but uh, you know, it, it's a it's a story that's passed, mm. and um, really, it, it is a warning to the community that some of the entities on which we rely pretty heavily, like banks and building societies and the like, may not always be as flash as they mm. seem, and how you manage them if they do collapse is is really very difficult. Yeah. I'm not saying there weren't faults in the process, yeah. but and uh, certainly there were people who, who stepped up and said they had the capacity to help who were really in it for themselves. Mm. Um, and, uh, and politicians are probably not very good managers anyway, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and you know the findings are all there. If anyone wants to uh, revisit them, the Royal Commission findings. Uh, are well, there's one. Very, there very, is uh, one very much available on on the there, internet. There is, and there's one that does hurt me, and that is that uh, it was asserted that I had done things for the per- for political purposes, in inverted commas, political purposes. Yep. Um, my my belief was that I was doing things as I didn't want the community yeah. to suffer more loss. I think but it was the phrase is electoral advantage was preferred to the public interest. Yeah, see, that's mm. I'd, I'd, I'd challenge that. But if I challenge it, you'll yawn, Tim, I can tell. So. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> and probably your listeners will go, oh, crikey. Oh, Moses. here we go. Here, here we go. go. So, yeah. so we'll yeah. miss that one. But suffice to say, things were done that shouldn't have been done. Uh, certain things shouldn't have happened, but well, we 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 were we were hoisted on a petard. That's the way mm. I saw it. Yeah. Um, just before we go to a break, Brian Burke. When I say the name Brian Burke to you, is it triggering? What sort of emotions does that stir in you? Uh, well, look, the guy's done his penance. I I, I don't want to mm. sort of agitate anything further about that. Really. Yeah. We, we were never very close. We, well, we were never close. We were never particularly friendly. Mm. But, uh, you know, he's done his, done his time. Mm. If he walked in here now, would you shake his hand? Would you have, we want to have well, a beer I with didn't, him? Well, I didn't shake yours, Tim, because it's a COVID, <laughs> a COVID protection. That's, that's, that's so maybe there's, maybe there's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Let's go to a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Peter Dowding is our special guest. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, our former Premier of Western Australia, Peter Dowding, is our special guest in this episode. Uh, Peter, February of 1990, uh, the final days of your tenure uh, as our Premier. What are, you, what are your memories of that time? Did, uh, did, did the end of your time in office come about quickly? Uh, you know, those, those early days of, of 1990... Oh yeah! How do, look, how do you I, remember them? Oh, with with a, with a degree of uh, well, I, I I don't really, but uh, with a degree of bitterness. My I went overseas to the Davos conference uh, with a delegation of West Australians, and while I was away, uh, Stephen Smith and and others decided that they would organise a coup, mm. and. Uh, sort of by the time I got back, it was a bit late. So that's how it came about. Mm. But uh, look, you know, politicians win, politicians lose. I, I, I moved on. Yeah, you've become I didn't want to philosophical stay in, about it now. Absolutely. I didn't want to stay in Parliament with people who had voted against me. I mean, I would have found that, I, I, I would have found it then very difficult and yeah. I probably still find it a bit difficult. But I just... I'd, I'd been 10 years in uh, political life, so I went back to what I knew, mm. which was being a, a lawyer. Mm. You made way for uh, a new Premier who would go on to become the first female Premier of any state uh, in Australia. Was that was it hard to hand the baton over to someone? Um, well, I, was, I, and I suppose at the time, when you say there was a coup again, you know, to unseat you... Um, it does. It makes a great story, doesn't it? Um, it, <laughs> it does, uh, the, if, you're, if you're being unseated, if you, Tim, except it does. if you're you. <laughs> That's right. Um, and look, I don't know what your relationship has been like with with, with Carmen over the years, but I suppose um, you know, for for a party that's had some difficult years, um, it it is a, it is a good headline, isn't it? Well, look, the, the, at the time, the the thought the thought amongst the the backroom boys was that if we have the first woman premier, it'll help the federal government in the election that it had coming up. Mm. Uh, it, it, it might have helped. They, they, the feds have certainly got back in, but it didn't help the state at the mm. next election. We yeah. lost the next election. Yeah. So how do you process that whole time? I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, there was a, a degree of bitterness uh, at the time. What, what did you do? Did you have to just cut yourself off from that world? I'm out, I'm done. Did you need some time just to, I don't know, get away from it all? Like, how did you, how did you get yourself through it? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I guess with difficulty, it, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do, but you've got to, you, you have to get on with it. You know, mm. I had, a, I had um, kids to deal with and so forth. So yeah. we, we, we just got on with it. Uh, I, Got help from friends to. Uh, we went to Sydney first, and and I got help from friends over there to get into a practice and and start doing law and yeah. live my life again. And then came back, realised how how much we missed Perth, and came back and yeah. set up here again. Was it a time when you got to really know who your your true friends are? It was pretty clear. Yeah, it was pretty clear. Yeah, um, some of your. Uh, colleagues, 
friends from that time uh, in in politics. Are you still close with any of them, or have yeah, you yeah. just sort of shut the door on that time? No, no, I've I've got some good friends from that time. Yeah, some good friends. Yeah, and some people I really admire who who did a lot of mm. a lot of good work. At, yeah, for, for for politics and for WA. Yeah. So no, no, we we've we've got some good relationships. After you uh, finish your time in politics, you you know come to terms with what's happened. You get back into law. Were you happy to be back in that world? Uh, yeah, it was. It was always very difficult to make those transitions. But but look, the law is a sort of. A, a very stimulating profession to be in, and getting back into it was, uh, in a way, a bit of a, uh, a, a salving ointment to, mm. to take away a bit of the pain and discomfort of what had happened. Yeah, but I, I've been I've been very lucky. You know, I've had some terrific friends as partners in in law firms, and and good people to work with, good solicitors to to brief me and good uh, opportunities to share my knowledge with people and help mm. them progress. So I, I, I've enjoyed the law. It's, when you speak to people who've been in the legal profession for many years, there's always a, a couple of cases they like to hang their hat on that they're particularly proud of. What are the ones that stand out for you? Well, the, 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 the first one is the Court of Disputed Returns. Sure. That, that was a, a real triumph for us. Uh, we were so thrilled about that. And uh, uh, there's a high court case um, uh, which uh, I appeared in and, and one which you, you can't mention the names of parties in the family court, but that's become a sort of a, a standard beginning of every property settlement case to refer to this and I'm, I'm pretty thrilled about that. <laughs> and lots of, lots of cases that I've had for people who've been really nice people and I've helped them. Yeah. Um, re-establish themselves through a, a fair bit of pain and, yeah. and angst. Um, you've dedicated uh, quite a bit of your time to native title uh, cases as well. Uh, I did. I got very involved with some native title issues, uh, not so much recently, but uh, it's always been a, a passion. When we're in the in the 70s, John Toohey, who became a High Court judge, and Henry Woolwork, who became a Supreme Court judge, each of them spent a year in Port Hedland covering the whole Pilbara-Kimberley region. I spent a year up there similarly and got to know a lot about the history, particularly the history of what we describe as settlement mm. um, and the Indigenous people up there. So that, that's been a really important part of my life and, and my political career as well to, yep. to understand that. In fact, last couple of weeks ago, I, I was invited to go up to Port Hedland to talk about um, uh, the anniversary of, of uh, various aspects of Port Hedland life and I made a, a, a presentation about the 1946 strike when all the workers in the Pilbara, the Indigenous workers in the Pilbara walked off the pastoral stations mm. and, and and refused to work and never went back again. Um, quite an interesting part of WA history, really. Yeah. And it, it seems from talking to you that uh, uh, Aboriginal issues have been 
a big part of your life and your dad's life as well. I understand that, you know, opposition to the white Australia policy was one of the things that he was uh, extremely passionate about. You've worked closely with native title cases over the years, and you mentioned before uh, your association with, with Ernie Bridge. Do you think we've come as far as we could have in the time from when you first were exposed to it to now? Have we, have we made the sort of progress that is realistic and, and, and satisfactory to you? We're, Tim, we're making it. I, I was reflecting when I was doing the work on for this speech about the 1946 strike <clears throat> and doing some um, historical research also. I, I don't think people, non-European, non-Indigenous people, realise just how savage uh, the settlement process was uh, in Australia. Mm. I mean, really appalling, appalling savagery, both state-driven and also at times personal savagery Mm. towards Indigenous people. And that history is slowly percolating through. It's being taught in schools and people are understanding, Mm. understanding it a bit more. Some of the state ministers can give a welcome to country in in uh, in an indigenous language which is a terrific thing i think and uh, uh, but i think we're 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 perhaps halfway there mm. we're, we're getting there getting there slow slow, slow progress slow progress um, a couple of accolades that have been uh, afforded your way over the years uh, appointed as uh, as special counsel hence the sc after your name which i i know must be a big moment in a <laughs> In a oh, lawyer's life, it is. I mean, to most other people, they're probably like, oh yeah, what, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But was it a big moment for you? Oh, it was a big moment. Yeah, it, it was a very big moment. I mean, we, we used to call them Queen's Council. Yes, and, and Queen's Council still sounds cooler, doesn't it? Uh, Don't you think? Not for Republicans, <laughs> true. And we can don our silk gown uh, and yeah. so forth. But uh, no, it is a. It was a very. A very nice yeah. uh, uh, award, if you like. Yeah, a lot of kudos, a kudos. that goes with it. It does. Um, a centenary medal in yeah. 2001 as well. Did, yes. that, did that come about as something of a surprise to you? Well, it, it did. Um, that that whole period of 1988, the centenary, was really a, a very exciting time. I mean, we had world leader after world leader coming to WA and sharing a table with the little old premier. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In fact, need... my daughter asked me today, um, there's a photo of me and the Queen somewhere or other and she wanted it for the family album. So we're looking it out today. There you go. Have you found it? Not yet. So it's not framed on the mantelpiece <laughs> no, or anything? No, it's not. No. What are your memories of meeting the Queen then? Oh, it was very interesting. Yeah? Fascinating. What did you chat about? Oh, we chatted about uh, we chatted about the environment. We chatted about social welfare issues. Yeah. We chatted about how various politicians were and were not performing <laughs> well. So, you know, it was it was very interesting. Yeah, um, she was pretty engaged then. She was, in yeah. fact, she was. And my daughter had seen the pictures of us. Um, uh, walking up the the ter- uh, up uh, Hay Street, and she complained to me that she wanted to meet the charming prince, and so <laughs> I took her. She was aged four, I think. We I yeah, took right. her to say goodbye to them, and the charming prince gave her a flower posy. So she was really 
Does she remember that? She sure does. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. When you have a conversation with the Queen, are you told that it's it, it, it's not for, for relay later on? Because uh, no, I, I say because no. I, I mean, got to cover a royal tour one time, but when the cameras were off, we got to meet uh, yeah. Prince Charles and Camilla, and they said yeah. anything that's discussed in that environment is not for broadcast. Look, I, I mean, it's like uh, our Prime Minister. You would have thought that he would know you don't chat about things that people say to you in those circumstances mm. and uh, you don't. It's obvious. Yeah. Off the record. Yes. All right. With that, let's take another break and we'll get back on the record. Right after this, Peter Downing is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is the Honourable Peter Dowding, SC. Now that we've been through your <laughs> more official uh, titles there, Peter. I'm not asking um, you to genuflect, Tim. It's no, just, no, no. That's good. It's cool. <laughs> now, um, some of the things that uh, that you do for fun. I understand you're an avid ocean swimmer. Well, I'm a, I'm a shallow it... ocean swimmer, <laughs> but even shallower after the tragedy of this week. Yeah. Um, uh, but I love swimming. I love swimming in the ocean. Mm. I do. What is it that – I mean, I, it's not for me. I, I don't quite understand why – I mean, I do on some level, but not enough to want to do it myself. What is it that gets you out, well, out in the cold water every morning or, you know – most mornings. Well, it's yeah. I don't know. Look, what is it? It's refreshing. It's invigorating. It's a invigorating. It's yeah. a lovely feeling. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've had some problems with my uh, with my back, and it, it's a way of exercising without uh, yeah. hurting my back and so on. So it's a lovely uh, look. It's a, yeah. a a lovely experience. And then afterwards, there's a, a, a mob of us that gather for coffee. Uh, mm. and, and chat and get on with their lives. A very controversially named group. <laughs> You'll be very careful when yeah. you say what they're, what they're actually called, the coffee cheaters, the coffee as I understand. Che- as, as in the animal, not the... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with uh, blokes who wear leather jackets and no, ride around on very no, loud, no, no, definitely very not. loud bicycles. Um, what, what are the other things that, you know, that, that get you going in the morning, apart from a cold ocean dip? Um, I mean, what, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are the what things are that, yeah, just th- well, that bring you joy? We, we've, we've got a, a, a pretty good life in uh, where we live and uh, we've got a very good circle of friends. Um, we have uh, events during the year that, that people participate in. My, my wife organised a big Halloween party. And we I have heard rumours of massive four, Halloween parties at your house, 450 kids through it. 450? Yeah, which was what? pretty dramatic. 450 kids through That's your it. house? Through, through the, through the Are front you mad? yard. Through the front yard. So, no, look, those sort of things, Why? being part of a community. How, is, how does that come about? I, did, I wouldn't have pegged you as a... 
as a Halloween enthusiast? Peter? No, well, well, we 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 have a little party. People get dressed up, and then we open it for an hour and a quarter with the, for the kids to come through and yeah. sing a song or do whatever they want to do, and they get a lolly, and and uh, then we go and have a party at the back of the house. So yeah, that's right. really our. Wow, Halloween too! Of well, all the occasions, your dad would, would no, be furious, no, 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 wouldn't he? No, it's really it's All Saints, it's All Saints Day. So we actually remember people who've passed away, right? And and we have a toast to them. And so the the Halloween's the front, and the the All Saints Day and the toasts are at yeah. the rear. Okay, got all the bases covered. We have. Would you consider yourself to still be a, a, a politically active? Person, do you still keep a close watch on the goings on in parliaments uh, both here and over east and in I, Canberra? I, I don't participate in the political process very much. Obviously, apart from voting and mm. and expressing views, I fulminate about things that are going on. But uh, no, I don't. I, I, I'm not involved in mm. any active way in the yeah. things. I mean, I am pretty saddened with with where we're at uh, uh, politically. I, I, I read a piece in the West um, that Paul Murray had written the other day and I, I really felt saddened and wished that uh, our political discourse was better than that. Um, you know, this obsession that some people have with the ABC, the obsession they have with the idea that somehow or other to behave sensibly in our international lives is giving in to other people's power plays. I think those are really tragic views and especially when I'm writing about the Second World War and I see how easily the world slipped into both First and Second World War and how little it takes to tip things over the edge and I look at the way we're behaving towards China, the way we're behaving towards France. I, I really, I really hope that it's not going to end up in tears. And mm. I, I have a horrible feeling it might. If a, a young Peter Dowding was uh, was graduating from university now and and finding his feet in the world, uh, would a, a young Peter Dowding have been attracted to politics uh, in in twenty twenty one? I, I think so. I'd probably slip on slip on my Superman suit and <laughs> try and do something heroic, but 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 I'm well past it now. Yeah, the standards have slipped enough that uh, that the interest wouldn't be there. That's probably uh, no. That's probably the, the wise older Peter Downing talking uh, to the younger <laughs> the younger man at the moment. What do you think though of uh, of the, the the current state of um, of the WA Labor Party? Look, I think the the political party's done pretty well. I think McGowan has been uh, exceptional. I think uh, Cook has been terrific. I think there's lots of uh, ideas in the ministry for for good things, environmental things, indigenous things, in 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 art and uh, infrastructure. I mean, there's a hell of a lot actually happening at the moment. There are there's a lot of preoccupation with COVID and I, I understand why that is. I mean, I'm very disappointed that my brother can't come over and visit me and I can't go over and visit him. But 
we we are so lucky here where we don't have to at the moment we don't have to wear masks we're reasonably safe mm. but um and i think that the government has been extraordinarily careful in in taking a middle of the road approach to politics which is what west australians really want mm. they don't want flamboyant lefties if i could put it that way or righties yeah, 2022 could be an interesting year though, yeah? Well, it could be. But I, I think, I mean, the, the Labor government looks as though it's in power for a while at a state level. What will happen federally, I, I mean, I know what I would like to see happen, but w- whether it will happen, we don't know yet, obviously. Yep. We'll just play it as it comes. Play it as it comes. Peter, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. and. I really look forward to uh, to seeing your book on the shelf too about your Uncle Bruce. Yeah, thanks, Tim. What yeah. an amazing story that'll be. Thank you very much indeed. Appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.